What's up, everyone? This is Brian Ward, host of the Data Podcast, the podcast show for dads, about dads, being dads. I'm super excited that you're here and for the guests that I have on the show today. But before we get to the interview, if you have not yet subscribed to my show, please make sure you smash that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Also, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. The link is in the show notes. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I'm super excited about the guests I have on today. Uh, we were tried to get this going about a month ago, and it, <laughs> it wasn't working out with our sound quality, but uh, we're doing it today, and I'm really excited. Uh, I've gotten a chance to know this guy. He's a he's a 12-time MLB player uh, and now an analyst, right? And uh, he's just he's just doing great things. He's got his own podcast, and I'm excited to uh, for him to share all the things he's doing with you. But, Sean, thank you very much for being on, man. Oh, Brian, good to be back on, dude. At least we got the uh, audio visual a little bit better this time. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Um, well, let's do this. Let's let's hit let's hit it right out of the park from the start. Um, you know, give my give my listeners a little bit of a backstory of you and and kind of how you grew up, and then obviously uh, yeah. about your career, and uh, and then obviously it's the dad podcast, so about your family. Yeah, man, sure. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've lived in here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, pretty much my whole life in a suburb called Upper St. Clair. Uh, you know, I have four kids. I have two boys in college. One's at Dayton, Andrew. One's at, uh, as a freshman at Kent State. That's why I'm, I figure I pay enough money, so I might as well wear the T-shirt, you know what I mean? Uh, and then I have two little girls. I have one, uh, one uh, my daughter Carly's is, is a sophomore in high school, and I have a, a little one, Jillian, that's in sixth grade. So, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, running the dad, you know, I'm running the full cr- full court press being a dad, which is which is probably the most important job of my life. But, you know, I, I tell you what, I mean, I go back in this town, you know, to my mom and dad. You know, my mom and dad are still alive, thank God. Uh, you know, they're, they're on the uh, other side of town here i moved back to the town i grew up in um have been been here raising my kids and you know it's so funny because it's like a time warp for me bry you know what i mean everything's still the same but i'm just older i'm like what the heck i'm still feel like i'm 14 but i'm 47 you know what happened here you know what i mean so it's crazy but you know for me it's funny because i drive by the same baseball fields i used to play at i drive by the same parks i used to play at my buddies my high school my elementary school all that stuff it's still the same it's crazy but you know time changes in the seasons of your life right and i think uh you know for me when i go back to being the son of jim and joan casey you know so many things happen for me you know, to where I'm at today. And I think that's one of the cool things when I look back, even like, uh, you know, for my major league career, like I, I did all the things here, you know, uh, playing my, uh, little league baseball and training league baseball and T-ball and all that stuff. And then for me, baseball was my favorite sport, but I also played basketball. I played a little bit of soccer. I played some football, all those things. And all those fields are still here, you know? And, and uh, when I was 14 years old, you know, I think probably some of the biggest lessons I learned as a man, but also as the son of my parents, uh, you know, happened to me probably my freshman year in baseball. Um, you know, I was one of the, I probably was one of the top two players in the town baseball wise, especially hitting and all that stuff all the way up till I got to 14. And I think I was just a young 14 year old, uh, a young, a young freshman. And, you know, I just hadn't hit puberty the way probably my buddies had and they were hitting the ball maybe a lot further and doing some different things it was the first time brother that i'd never really started in baseball it's crazy so we get there that that first year i'm like 
what the heck? I'm not even, I'm a bench player. You got to be kidding me. Like I've always been the best player. So, you know, I remember going home to my dad and this, this conversation has made me th think so much being a dad, you know? And I said to my dad, I said, dad, man, I don't know what's going on, but just do me a favor, head down to the, to the high school and talk to the coach if you could, and just tell him that, you know, how good of a player I am <laughs> and that, I've started my whole career, been one of the best players, and you know that I should be starting over this kid. My dad was just like kind of an old school guy. My dad, you know, blue collar man, was like, man, I pr I feel your pain, and I appreciate your emotions and your feelings, but I'm 100% not going to go talk to that coach. Right. He's like, he's like, you're obviously not glaringly better than the other players, because if you were, you'd be playing. If you were glaringly better you would be playing. You wouldn't have to have this conversation with me or anything like that. He's like, this is at the time in your career where you need to start working a little harder. You know, you need to start putting in the time, developing your skill. You know, you have some talent, uh, you know, but you've got to put in more effort, you know, to get, to get that skill and then more effort to get to where you want to be. So for me, it was, uh, there was a batting cage that opened up the town next to us in Bethel Park. And my dad was like, listen, you know, back then it was tokens. I'm sure you remember the tokens. You put in the tokens, you hit the balls. So he's like, listen, I'll pay for as many tokens as you use. And he's like, as soon as you stop hitting, the deal's off. And I was like, dad, deal. And so sure enough, brother, like I, that summer, after that freshman baseball year, and then the summer came, you know, going into our sophomore year, I started to hit every single day. And I, I just fell in love with it. And I found a, I have found a hitting coach, a guy named Frank Porco, who I owe so much to, just loved hitting. He knew I never played, even played college ball, but he loved the game. He loved, you know, the skills of hitting. So used to hit with him for a half hour on Tuesday night, Pry, And then every day after those other six days, I was working. I would hit for a couple hours after school. I would hit in my garage afterwards off the tee. And my whole goal was to start as uh, on JV. Like my whole goal of like doing all this was, man, I just want to start on JV. I got to get that starting job back. And, and my dad was right. The more I hit the repetitions, the mother's skill, the more I hit, the better I got. I was like, wow, this is really working, you know? So as a 14, 15 year old kid, that was huge. So Sure enough, year goes by, bam, I start my, I start as a JV. I'm, I'm like, yeah, there's the goal. But I keep hitting. Next thing you know, I start as a, a junior in varsity. My senior year, I start. We win the championship. And, uh, you know, I think the other lesson I learned there was I really learned that you got to put the work in. you got to put the time in. Nothing's given to you in life. Your dad, you know, all these things, no one could help you. you got to help yourself. My senior year, though, my dad had just started this company called Casey Chemical. He was grinding. I, I remember just the work ethic for me. Like, I'd be in bed at night, and he started the company in our house in the living room there. And I, I remember going to the bathroom at night at midnight, and my dad's still up, you know, doing what he needs to do. I don't know what he's doing down there, but he's still setting up the company, making sure he has everything ready for tomorrow's calls. And that really stuck in my head. Like, man, my dad is, like, pushing the envelope, finding ways to get better. And he, he was always big with that, too, Brian. Like, hey, listen, find out there's better ways to get to get better quicker. Find those out and keep doing them. So I, I kind of got that from my dad. But but that year, my senior year, I had no college scholarship offers. Like I was one of the best players in the area now. Like legitimately, I was like the MVP of our area. But I didn't even have a Division three offer. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like I can't you didn't even have one. Not one, not one offered. Nobody. Division three, two, one, nothing, right? Because I didn't look the part. I didn't run great, you know, all this stuff. But I could hit. I could hit, and I and I had a drive inside me, like you know, that was you know, you can't measure that hard. I think that's what sometimes people don't realize, man. You got to find out who these guys are to see what they'll be. So 
I was so frustrated. I remember telling my dad, Dad, I, I, I know I can play Division One baseball. I know it. He goes, well, listen, do what I'm doing. It's called network marketing. And back back then, I used to stuff the envelopes every month. Every month, 5,000 envelopes I would stuff after school. So I knew, like, oh, my God. My dad would be like, if we send out 5,000 envelopes and we get – you know, one to five sales, we're going to eat. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what his goal was. Crazy. So he said, why don't you write down, sit down and write out 30, find 30 colleges, division three, division one, and write, write letters to all of them. So I did, I came home from school one day, dear Clemson, dear Penn state, dear Marietta. I mean, all the way down 30 letters. And the last, the, I, I was sending them out. My dad comes up with a brochure. He goes, Hey, Last year at the Keystone State Games, when you hit 600 with four home runs, University of Richmond had sent you a pamphlet. You know, this is back in 1992, you know. He goes, why don't you send them one, too? They sent you a pamphlet. I was like, oh, cool. They sent me a pamphlet. You know what I mean? Nowadays, you're sending out videos, social media. You know, you're pumping yourself up. So the last letter I wrote, University of Richmond, I send it off, right? So my dad's big message to me, Bri, was preparation meeting opportunity. Luck is preparation meeting opportunity. One of these days. One of these days, brother, if you keep hitting every day, an opportunity is going to pop up. He's like, what a shame it would be if, you did, if it didn't come. And I remember thinking to myself, with six games to go in my senior year, man, that really, I don't know if that's true, what my dad said. Like, there's been no opportunity, <laughs> opportunities here. So we're playing Montour High School here in St. Clair. And I had the best day of my life. First at bat, double to left center. Next at bat, double to right center. Double to left center, double to right center. I go four for four, eight RBIs, uh, and have the best day of my high school career. My coach comes out to me, Jerry Malarkey. He's like, hey, Case, he's like, great game today, man. I'm like, thanks, Jerry. He's like, how many hits you got? I got four hits. How many ribbies? Eight ribbies, four doubles. He goes, that's great, man. He goes, you see that guy over there behind the backstop? I said, yeah. He goes, that's the University of Richmond uh, coach. He drove six hours today from the letter that you sent him wow. to see you play. And sure enough, the guy was like, I really like your swing. I like what we're doing. They were a division one team, you know, man, they were a division one thing. And he said, let me go back, talk to coach Atkins, who was the head coach. And we'll get back to you. And the next day they called me, they offered a thousand dollar scholarship, which was, which, you know, I didn't even care. I just wanted to walk on. Next thing you know, I was in Richmond. And three years later, Bri, three years later, I was the NCAA batting champion, Division One wow. batting champion. I hit 461 at Richmond. I won the NCAA batting title, the best hitter in Division One baseball. So just crazy how the conversation went with my dad, the good man of, no, man, you got to work for what you're getting. No one can help you talk to a coach. you got to put in the time. That's the way to go. And then the other, the other lesson was, hey, nobody's coming to you, man. Nobody's going to come to you. you got to take you the, the power of being deliberate, right? The power of being deliberate. you got to go take your life and not react to everybody and wait for people to come get you. you got to take action and go get it. And, and those two lessons right there were a huge reason I played 12 years in the big leagues. Wow, man, that is so cool. I mean, <laughs> huge, huge tribute to your dad for yeah. uh, not only not only leading by example, because you said he was up all hours <sighs> of the night working, trying to build this company. I mean, so he's yep. leading by example. He's telling you everything that he's willing to do himself, which is yep. powerful in itself. It's a lesson right there. And number Big two, t telling you, hey, you know, this is this is on you. You have to be a man now. Right. And uh, when, when you tell that story, it's funny because I've, you know, my, as you know, my boys are older now, 23 and 20, and I right. coached them, you know, since they were four all the way up through high school. And I remember, I, I, I distinctly remember, Sean, the conversation I had with my younger son, he was uh, about to be a junior in high school, and he was so nervous 
that he wasn't going to, uh, not only he wasn't sure if he was going to make the team, the varsity team, but he wanted to be a varsity starter. And he right. didn't, he, he thought with all the talent that was coming out, he's, he was, he was really upset about it. And he, we were talking on the way home. Cause I was one of the coaches on the team. And he said, dad, I just, I don't think I'm going to make, I, I'm not sure I'm going to make the team. Number one, number two, it, even if I do make the team, I'm definitely not going to be a starter. And I'm like, why do you think that way? He goes like, dad, look at all the, look at all the other guys that have come out. I, I just don't think I'll be able to do it. And I said, listen, there's one thing you have to do. You have to outwork everybody else. That's the one thing you have to do. You have to outwork them. You have to be in the gym longer. You got to focus harder. And when you are in the gym during practices, you got to work harder than every single other player out there. And if you do those things, even if you fall a little short, if you do those things, good things will happen. And I mean, that was the only conversation I had with him about it. And he took it to heart. He really grinded. He really busted his tail. And it was about another month or so before we named the starting, the, the varsity players and then who our starters would be. And I wasn't involved in that, in that decision-making because my son's on the team. I had to step right. back from that role. So the head coach of the team, he, he, he named the varsity players and he named the starters. And my son was one of them. Wow. And it was because of the work ethic that he put in. And not only that, but that year that he was a starting player on this varsity team, that year we ended up going all the way to CIF and winning the championship. It was the first time in the school's 100 year history that the school had won a championship in CIF for basketball. And so now my son and I both have championship rings together and that championship game, he had probably the best game of his life in the championship game where he went five, he made five uh, three point shots in that game, five of them. Wow. Uh, he just was lights out. He was lights out. Um, so it's just, it, it was, I really attribute it to part of it being the conversation that he and I had at the beginning of the season. And the other part of it is him taking it to heart and really putting in the work. And you talked about that as yeah. a young boy for you, putting in that work play uh, kids don't understand, especially when it comes to sports, but even in school, kids don't understand that, that uh, they don't have quite the maturity level. It's our jobs as parents to really encourage them to really take ownership of who they want to be and what right. they want to do and the things that they want to accomplish. So that's a powerful, powerful story. And then it yeah. led you, led you to a phenomenal career, right? Yeah. Been with a couple of different teams. Um, my son's one of my son's favorite, my, my son's favorite team, the Red Sox, you were, you played on the Red Sox. I mean, yeah, my last um, year. That's, that's so awesome, man. Um, let me ask you this, uh, you know, just kind of thinking back to that, that career, um, best or favorite baseball memory that you have from playing in the major leagues? Oh, so many great memories, man. Like, I, I think there's, you know, it, it relates so much back to, um, you know, just being a kid and growing up, like having that little kid in you, you know, um, I, one other thing I wanted to say before I, I go to that, like, I think I like the phrase results aren't random, right? You know, results aren't random. Like you, when you put in the work, you start to see results when you don't put in the work, you see results. They're just not the ones you want. Right. You know what I mean? So at some point you have to evaluate what am I, what am I doing, you know, to get the results that I'm getting? I always, I always thought that was a, that was a good one. But for me, you know, I think the big leagues was just, it was a dream come true almost all the time. I think probably one of the coolest moments of my career was probably my first hit. I, I, I got called up to the big leagues in 1997 with the Cleveland Indians. They were the best team in baseball. Um, 
I had just hit a home run to win the triple A championship. And I went in the office of Mark Shapiro, who's now the CEO of the Blue Jays. At the time, he was the minor league director of the Indians. And Brian Graham, who was the manager. And they were like, hey, man, congratulations on that home run to win the championship. We had the champagne going in the, in the clubhouse. And they're like, but your season's not over. You're going, to, you're going up tomorrow to meet the big club in, in Chicago against the White Sox. And I was just blown away. And it was the coolest phone call of my life. Uh, you know, it kind of chokes me up to this day. I remember just thinking, I just need to call my parents. I just need to call my parents right now. Like they are the ones that need to know this information, you know, especially my dad at the time, you know, just his love for baseball was the reason I love baseball. So, you know, back then there's no cell phone either. So I'm like, Oh boy, how do I, I got to get to a pay phone. You know what I mean? Back there's no, you're not dialing anybody. I had to go get to a pay phone. So I run out of the clubhouse, run back onto the field, up to the concourse in Iowa. We're in Iowa playing the Iowa Cubs. And the stadium, the lights are still on, but the stadium is, you know, is cleared out. So I run up to the concourse. I find this payphone. Boom, I, I dial collect to my parents. My parents answer. You know, I'm just like, there's no real internet back then to, like, follow a game. Like, you could stream stuff now. You couldn't back then. Right. So I said, oh, my gosh, two great things just happened. I just hit the home run to win the AAA championship. And I said, and I just got called up to the big leagues. I'm like, I can't believe it. That's unbelievable. And my dad, you know, just a great Jim Casey, uh, you know, enthusiasm for life was like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. I said, I'm going to Chicago. Then we'll be there tomorrow. And it was just one of those calls. It was I mean, literally, I was on cloud nine. I start to cry. My parents start to cry. You know, it's literally like the dream come true. Like, I can't tell you how many times I'm in the backyard playing wiffle ball with my buddies, and I'm thinking, oh, Sean Casey homers in the big leagues, or hey, Sean Casey homers in the World Series, you know? So that next day, I go to Chicago. I'm, I'm on the bench. Me, Richie Sexton, uh, like Anar Diaz, Enrique Wilson, like some really good players get called into the big leagues, guys that end up being all-stars on other teams. And uh, in the eighth inning, I'm sitting at the at the end of the stand, at the end of the bench. I'm eating my sunflower seeds. I'm nervous as guy. I don't even want to get in the game. I'm like, I'm just so happy to be here. Don't put me in. You know, let me just enjoy this. So in the eighth inning, Johnny Goral, who was the bench coach at the time, because I was like, Case, he's like, hey, listen, Dave Justice hits. You're gonna hit for him. And I'm like, oh my, like, like have never. I'm in mean, literally, literally a lead balloon just went into my stomach. I was like, oh, I don't even thought I could think I could get up. I was so weighted down. I was like, all right, that sounds good. So I'm, I could see that the, the inning evolving and justice is going to get up. So they're like, Hey, case, get ready. And I'm like, Oh my God. But I realized, Brian, my equip, our equipment never made it from AAA to, to the big leagues, whatever reason it got lost on the flight. So it was coming the next day. So I go over to the helmet rack. And when you're, when you get to the show, you know, when you're in the minors, you got the double ear flap. Well, when you get to the show, a big thing is that you got the single ear flap, right? right? So I don't even have a helmet. I don't have a bat. I don't have batting gloves. I don't have equipment. So I'm over at the bat rack scrambling, and I'm like, okay, I go through all the helmets. Oh, Tony Fernandez is a seven and a quarter lefty helmet. So I'm like, Tony, I don't know anybody either, right? So I'm like, oh, but I'm, I'm desperate times call for desperate measures. So I'm like, Tony, any chance I could borrow your helmet? So bam, he gives me his helmet. Manny Ramirez swung a, a T141 Louisville. That's what I swung. So I start going through the bats, pull out a T141 Louisville. I'm like, hey, Manny. I know I don't know your brother, but any chance I could use your bat? He's like, me Mano, go ahead. You know, he's so bam. So I used Tony Fernandez's helmet, Manny Ramirez's bat, and the guy named Jeff Manto's batting gloves. I go up there, and my dad, my whole life, my parents were right behind the dish. My dad, my whole life, I call it the Jim Casey fist pump. Every time I went to a bat, 
from nine years old, I'd look over him when I was going on deck and he'd always go like this and I'd always give him like a fist pump. And I swear to God, Brian, I walk on, I walk on the on deck circle. I look up in the stands. My dad just comes to life. The biggest fist pump you've ever seen. He stands up. He can't believe it. You know, gives me the double fist pump. I kind of give him like, oh my God, we're in the big leagues. I got to give, I got to keep this subtle. So I give him, you know, one of these. I go up to my first at bat. I get the, the pitcher, Jeff Darman, gets me one one ball, two strikes. And I, re- I don't even remember the first three pitches. They were so, I was like in the spirit world. I was like, where, I, I can't believe it's happening. So, and when I got the two strikes, I'm like, I got to lock it in here. So I remember taking a deep breath, locking it back in. He throws me a one-two slider. Bam, I hit a ball to the right side for a hit. First big league hit. And I just remember sitting there. My dad, parents are going crazy. I got five buddies that probably have been overserved from college that are there. They're going crazy. You know what I mean? And I'm on first base. And I literally think, I have this thought. I did it. Like, if, if I don't get another hit in the big leagues, I did it. Like, I'm in the books. All that work. All that's that, those stories that I already told you, 14 and 18, you know, I'm in the big leagues and just got a knock. I can't believe it. And then, you know, I end up scoring. So that, that for me is one of the greatest memories ever. And the moment with my dad, the fist pump, he was, they were going crazy and my mom. And then fast forward about 2006, I homered in the 2006 World Series in game four against, against Jeff Supon. And I can remember in St. Louis rounding the bases, swear to God, when I'm round first and I'm up in between first and second, goes through my mind. Oh my God, I just homered in the World Series. Like the dream to get to the big leagues and then the dream within the dream to be in the World Series and homer like you were playing wiffle ball in your backyard. Those two moments to me forever will, will be two of the biggest moments of, of my career. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I can I can just see your dad. I can see your dad. He's so excited, your, man. It's your cloud college, nine. Your college yeah. buddies are jumping up, spilling their beers. And- <laughs> yeah. My one buddy's got a green wig on, John Cunningham. I'm like, okay. I told the traveling secretary the next day, I said, hey, when you leave tickets for these guys, put them down the left field line. Make sure they're not behind the dish. (laughs) Dude, I think, honestly, I think I can just picture myself. If I was in your shoes and I get up to bat and I hit that ball for my first hit, I don't know that I would run. I would be like, (laughs) I can't believe I hit it. I know you're paralyzed. You're paralyzed. Yeah. Oh my God. It was crazy. So crazy. What do I do now? Run. Oh, okay. That's so great, man. So great. Now I I, want to kind of, you know, kind of getting into the kind of whole fatherhood role now. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got four kids and you got a couple boys. I mean, are, were they into sports? Did it? Yeah. Both my, both, both my boys play division one baseball. One's playing at one plays at Dayton. One plays at Kent state. So, you know, it's kind of the same message for me with them. I'm like, listen, like nothing's going to be handed to you in life. Like you actually have to go put the work in and you're either going to do it or you're not. So if you want to play division one baseball, there's a lot of work that goes into that in high school, you know, and, 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 you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. So you got to actually show up for yourself and put the work in, which they did. And I think that's the reason they're both playing division one baseball is you know i used to love going down to the batting cages and hitting with them after school or they would hit by themselves a lot too so so that was great you know even with my daughter daughter's playing volleyball it's kind of the same message you know if you love it then and you want to and you want to go to the next level there's a there's always a price to be paid you know for that next level right did your kids experience you in the major leagues uh you know what when i homered in the 2006 world series 
they were up in a box, but I think they were pooping their diapers and coloring. So they got, <laughs> so not really. The only time they ever really experienced me, I think that they remember was when I was in Boston. The one year I came off the bench, I mean, I started my whole career, you know, 10 years. And then my last year I came off the bench in Boston. But, and one day I, I, I brought them out on a, on an off day and we were playing home run derby off the green monster. And I'm like, and I videoed it. Thank That's God. Cool. And, uh, you know, they, they remember that a little bit. They remember hitting, you know, them hitting balls off the green monster. And I think Andrew was, I want to say Andrew was six and who's in Dayton now, who's 20. And then Jake was five at the time. Mm. And, and yeah, and he was, uh, you know, they, and they were, and then Carly was like, I think Carly was like two. So, you know, they don't, I don't think they totally remember me playing, but they do a little, remember a little bit in Boston. You know what I mean? They remember me more as an MLB network analyst now, you know what I mean? It's yeah. ridiculous, you know? So I got to just, and I, you know, one of the other great memory for me, Brian, was I, I'm from Pittsburgh and I hit the first, I got the first hit and homer at PNC Park in 2001, which was an unbelievable moment. So every time that we drive, we go to a pirate game or we drive by it, I go, Hey, I know you don't know your dad played in the big leagues, but I got the first hit and home run right there in that park. <laughs> so cool. I always let him know, like, you know what I mean? I always let him know. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. You know, I talked to one of my good friends, Shea Hillenbrand. I mean, obviously you know him. Um, I, yeah. I, I've talked to him about his story. And one of the biggest challenges that he talked about um, when I've spoken to him uh, about his baseball career is the fact that he's absent, he was absent from his family uh, a lot. And that happens with, you know, especially in, in major league sports or, or, in, or in professional sports um, for athletes. Uh, I mean, was that a challenge for you? How did you balance that? Because you got young kids now um, that are, yeah. you know, essentially, you know, toddlers, but they're young kids that, uh, and you're away a lot traveling and stuff. How, did, how, yeah. how was, how much of a challenge was that for you? It's, it's a challenge. I mean, you move, you move as a big leaguer, you move three times a year, you know, you're, you're six, you're, you're, um, six to seven weeks of spring training, you're six to seven months in whatever city you're in. And then most guys live in the off season, have a different house. Like I lived in Flo Jupiter, Florida in the off season for four months. I was in Cincinnati for eight years of my career. So we're in Cincinnati for six months. And then you're in Sarasota, Florida for spring training for, for six to seven weeks. So it's a, it's a tough family life. It's not like, you know, it's not, it's not all you think it is sometimes for the family. So it was tough. You know, it was tough on, on, you know, my ex-wife at the time, it was tough on, you know, the kids. Uh, it's a grind. It's a grind of a family life, but I think you do the best you can knowing that you have an opportunity to obviously fulfill a dream for yourself and you have an opportunity to set up your family financially if you do it well, you know, and it's only a small block of time. I was lucky that my kids were young when I, when I got done playing, when I was done playing, they were six, five and one. And then we had another kid, Jillian, when I was done playing. So, you know, I, I think the biggest thing as a big league player, you do the best for your priorities. You know, you have to find out, you know, you have to make sure you put the effort into when you have time with your kids. Like every day I would wake up at home, I'd make sure to get up, play with the kids, go to lunch with them. You know, every day after the game, they would come in the clubhouse. I would hit in the cages with them. You know, I was always, whenever I had spare time, it was kid time, you know? And I think that was a, that was a really big thing for me was, you know, even though I was gone a lot, I was still around a lot of, enough to, to bring them in, in the mix and know that my kids and my, and my, and, and my wife were, were a big priority. Oh, that's good. That's good. I, I mean, just the fact that you're, 
you, you know, you're, you're intentional about your time, uh, not only yeah. with your, you know, baseball career, but also with your family time, you're intentional about it. So um, that's awesome. Now, uh, just kind of thinking, you know, when I, I, obviously, as you know, I've coached a lot of, a lot of sports, I coach basketball, I coach baseball for many, many, many years. Um, right. And one of the, uh, one of the things that I always faced as a coach, as I hear from parents, they're living, I see parents living through their kids' eyes. They want their kids to be the next major league player. And kids grow up wanting to be a major league player or a professional basketball player, you know, play in the, in the NFL. Um, for, for a parent right now, uh, what would you say to parents right now that have these, uh, you know, these aspirations for their kids or have kids that really have this goal or this dream to be in the, in the major leagues? What would be your advice to them? Well, first off, as a parent, you can't want for your kids more than they want for themselves. I used to tell my kids all the time, listen, I'll hit with you every day, but I'm not going to ask you to go hit. If you want to go hit, boom, we're in the car, we're rolling. You want me to feed the machine? I'll be there. You want to hit off the tee? You want to talk hitting? I'll do it. But at the end of the day, I can't want it for you. I can't be like, let's go hit. You got to do this. You got to do that. Kids are going to have to want to do that themselves. And, you know, I think one of the biggest thing is I call the phone the dream killer. You want to have some dreams and you really want to play in the big leagues or you want to be a professional athlete or anything in life. If you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, go to college. There's a lot of time that goes into that, to developing a skill. That phone and that dopamine rush that you get from Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and all these things, it'll kill the, that time. Because the, the one thing you really have, that your precious commodity, is time. And to develop a skill, you actually have to put time into it. So I would say first thing, like, man, careful about what you're, what you're, where you're spending your time. You know what I mean? Careful about things. That's one of the biggest things. And as a parent, you know, I think a lot of parents need to chill out. You know, I think a lot of parents need to step off. You know, I was just talking to a, uh, a buddy of mine that works at the MLB network and we were talking about, he was coaching this team in Atlanta and you know, this guy played 16 years in the big leagues and the parents are calling him saying, we paid all this money. Why is little Johnny not playing? And you know, he kind of in his face about things. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's unbelievable. And then little Johnny sending him a note, knowing that his parent talked to my buddy saying, I love this team. I don't want to, I can't believe my dad said that, you know? So I think sometimes as parents, and I feel it too, I have to take the urge and step back and say, no, my kids need to figure things out on their own and they need to, they need to do whatever they need to do. So you know, for me, I, you know, I was always kind of trying to stay back and let my kids figure it out, but be them to support them. And I think as parents, sometimes when we get too into our kids business, it's not fun anymore. You know, it's not, you know, sports are hard. And when you're in there saying you need to do this and do that and living vicariously through your kids, man, the fun of that can get zapped right out with the kids. So I'd say step back let your kids enjoy and have fun in sports, become good teammates, serve each other when they're on the field, have an impact for your community and, and, uh, and, and, and sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. I think it's important for parents to understand and, and something that I talk to a lot of parents about, especially in sports is that, you know, one of the, one of the greatest joys is just watching your son or daughter um, playing in a sport. And I can understand the frustration of maybe they're not getting as enough playing time as you think they deserve um, but the fact that they really just need to sit back and let those kids, let their kid own it and, and develop those skills to really earn that spot, um, I think is important. But um, you're absolutely right. I mean, sit back, just relax, enjoy it and let them enjoy the journey 
of going through yeah. it because listen, it's a very small percentage, as you know, it's a very small percentage right. of, of kids that even make the major leagues or make professional sports become a professional athlete. Um, but the fact that uh, you're allowing them to uh, enjoy this extracurricular activity um, as long as they're keeping their schoolwork up and, um, yes. and, 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 and just be there for, and support them. I think for me with my boys um, kind of growing up in, in, in playing in sports, um, I always told them, um, I always had, there was, there was two rules that I had for now I'm talking about basketball. Cause I coached a lot of basketball years, um, uh, as they were, as they were older, but it's the best rules- sport for your, it's the best sport to watch your kids play basketball. I mean, I, my, my kids played high school basketball and I would rather watch that than high school baseball. You know, sometimes high school baseball is like watching paint dry, but high school basketball, you're like, man, this is unbelievable. The action, yeah, you know, the so. action nonstop. You're absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. But um, there was two things that I always told my boys. Number one, at the end of every practice, I want you to go to the coach, not only thank them for practice, but I want you to ask them, what do I need to work on? Yeah, I and like that. That gives, the, that gives the coach, hey, this, this player wants to know what he needs to work on, wants to know what he needs to do to get better as a player and shows that he's interested. Uh, number two, when they were sitting on the bench, I always told my, my son, if, you, if you're pulled out of a game or whatever and you're sitting on the bench, I want you sitting as close to the coach as possible. So if you have to tell players to move down, tell them to move down. Um, but you sit as close to the coach as possible because the, when the coach is sitting on the bench and he's looking for a player to put in right. and he looks to his left and he sees you sitting right there, you're going to be <laughs> the first there. one yeah. in his head. He's going to yeah. go get in. So um, <clears throat> so those are the two things that I always told my boys. And uh, you know what? They did it. They did those things. Every single practice, they were asking the coach, thanks coach for practice. What do I need to work on? What do you think I need to work on? What did I not do so well today in practice that I need to work on? And uh, it's just important lessons, but I sat back and watched. I didn't allow it. And the other thing my, my, my boys were really good about me with is that um, they didn't call me dad when I was on a, on a baseball field or a basketball court. They didn't call me dad. They called me coach uh, yes. because they were, they had, we had that level of respect. When I'm, when I'm coaching, I'm your coach. I'm not your dad. When we get in right. the car and we're on our way home, then, I'm, then the dad hat goes back on and we can talk. Um, right. But when we're on the field or on the court, I'm your coach. Um, so that's cool. Um, let me ask like you this. One more, yes. Thank you. One more question. Then I'll let you go. Um, challenges right now. What are you facing uh, as a dad? What kind of challenges are you facing? Cause I know obviously you've got a wide range of ages of kids that you're going through right yeah, now. Yeah. I think, the, I think the biggest challenge is time. You know what I mean? I got one at Dayton. I want to see him sometimes. I was just up at Kent state this past weekend while my daughter was in Philadelphia doing a volleyball tournament. So she's traveling. My little one, you know, loves has soccer that she's in travel soccer on the weekends. So just a lot of time, you know, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of figuring out where to go and also being present, you know, cause you're there. You know, I think one of the things too, is I challenge myself, you know, daily to communicate with every kid. You know, if I'm, if I'm on the road working, I make sure that I'll FaceTime my little one Jillian or make sure I call her in the morning before school or walk her to the bus stop or, you know, and I think that's a big thing. And also too, like I got divorced like four years ago, but my ex-wife lives five houses down, which is really good. So, so, you know, I almost feel like, man, I'm so grateful for the relationship that I have with her. We were in that, that, you know, that the kids are really kind of like, you know, we're week on week off, but the kids are like, Hey, I'm going to mom's. I'll be back. And so, you know, navigating that too has been pretty, pretty rewarding to, to do it right. And to make sure that, you know, we're raising our kids together and that, and that there doesn't have to be this animosity and this bitterness and this resentment. You can realize, Hey, listen, 
it didn't work out for us moving forward in our marriage, but we have four wonderful kids. We're so, I'm so grateful that she's the mom of, of my kids. And, and so I think navigating that sometimes is a challenge, but it's so worth it. And, and I'm very grateful, like I said, for that, the amicability of, that we have as, of a relationship with, with their, my, my kid's mom. Yeah, I think um, co-parenting uh, is obviously more of a challenge than it is just being in, a, in the same household together. But uh, the fact that you guys are doing it right um, is, you know, yeah. I, I give you guys credit. That's awesome because it's it's difficult. And I've experienced a lot of parents that I've dealt with over the years that uh, that don't co-parent well. And uh, yeah. it, it doesn't impact them the way it, the way it impacts the kids, negatively the impacts kids. the kids. And, and so that's awesome that you guys are doing that right. Um, Sean, look, man, it's been super awesome having you on brother. Uh, I'm glad we were able to get this locked in and, uh, I appreciate, uh, who you are, the things that you're doing, um, and look forward to continuing our friendship. Yeah. Great. Brian. I appreciate you having me on, man. Love what you're doing with the dad up podcast. I think it's wonderful and, uh, look forward to seeing it down the road, brother. Awesome. Uh, thank you guys very much for joining me again on another episode of Data Up. Thank you, Sean Casey, for joining me. Uh, make sure you guys are checking out the things that he's doing. Uh, obviously, he's got an awesome. What's the name of your podcast again? Yeah, right? the, the name. Of, yeah, I'd love for you to check it out. It's called the Mayor's Office, and uh, you know we just. We got a lot of great stuff on there. I think we're, we're, I'm big on talking about the hero's journey of these guys. And, you know, there's just so many, you know, Johnny Bench, Jim Leland, Steve Blass, you know, Jeff Bagwell, Lance Berkman, a lot of good people that have been on the podcast. And it's just been a lot of fun uh, for us. So you can, you can find us, you can find me on Twitter at, at the mayor's office or Instagram at, at the mayor's office MLB. And then our podcast is everywhere. It's on YouTube at the mayor's office and also Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, awesome. all that awesome. stuff. So, well, guys, make sure you're checking out his podcast. He does have a lot of great guests on, um, really good stuff. So, make sure you guys are subscribing to his show. And then, obviously, don't forget to subscribe to my show so you don't miss it. Uh, new episodes come out every single week. But I thank Sean Casey again for being on the show. And I thank you for tuning in and watching, listening wherever you are. And make sure you guys check out the next episode of Data. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. Make sure you guys subscribe to my podcast and YouTube channel. And please do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Would love to hear from you and see what you think of the show. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes each week. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Data Podcast. <laughs>